Trust you found your place in the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And today I'll be looking at verses 11 to 23. But for the sake of time, I'm going to just read from verse 11 to verse number 14. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 11. The Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments as uh, I lost my place. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield ye yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For God shall not, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for being a great and awesome God. We thank you for the great salvation that you've afforded to us. And dear Lord, today as your word goes forth, pray that you would use it to speak to hearts in a very special way. Dear Lord, and if there's someone here today who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, may that one recognize that you gave your precious blood and you gave your life on Calvary's cross so that they can have life and have it more abundantly. May today be the day of their salvation. And every believer, may we be challenged to take a closer walk with you. Thank you once again for being a great and awesome God. Magnify yourself in and through this message here today. Take me, cleanse me of sin, empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You'll be seated. A little over six months ago, I began preaching this message series entitled, A War is Raging. And this series pertained to the reality that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. At the time that we were engaged in this series, we were all completely unaware of what would happen thereafter, which would really literally disrupt our lives as a family and as a church in such an unexpected way. These last several weeks have taken us into, into uncharted waters, unknown territory. We All you can do is simply trust God and take it one day at a time. Our human ability to plan, to figure things out, to make things happen has been proven to be sorely inadequate. But I'm happy to be able to say by God's grace that God uses our inadequacies to cause us to trust and to lean on him. And let me tell you here this morning today, what I'm learning is that no matter what happens in your life, that God's grace is sufficient. God gives you what you need for the moment in which you need it. And here's something we must recognize about difficult circumstances. They're either going to draw you closer to God because you recognize your desperate need for him 
or they can cause us to drift away from God because of a feeling, falsely so, that he has failed us and allowing us to go through something that we would rather not. But let me say categorically this morning, which is not any new information for you, that unexpected events and unexpected circumstances are a part of life. But they also are a part of war. Let me tell you, if you didn't know, that the enemy is not going to send you a press release. He's not going to send you a memo. He's not going to send you an alarm or give you some heads up as to where he's going to attack from. After all, it's war. God himself has indicated to us in his word that a walk with him is a walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But in spite of these human limitations, I want to tell you this morning, and hopefully by God's grace and blessing be an encouragement to you today, that in spite of all of the unknowns, in spite of all of our limitations, in spite of all of our inadequacies and our insufficiencies, let me help you this morning to understand that in spite of all of these shortfalls, we have the ability to determine our success in this spiritual war. You say, why is that, Pastor? Because one plus God is majority. My friend, God has given us the ability to choose. Choice is essential to relationship. God didn't make us as robots. He gave us the ability to reject or to choose him. And in this spiritual war in which we are engaged as believers, understand that we have a choice to determine our side. And let me, back, let me backtrack that by saying, I mentioned believers, but every single person, whether you are born again believer or not, you have a choice to determine which side are you going to be on. My friend, there are only two sides. There's the side of Almighty God, and there's the side of Satan himself. You have the ability, God has instilled it in each and every one of us, to determine what side we're going to be on. But God has also given us the ability to choose not only our side, but to choose our strategy. What strategy are you going to employ in the spiritual war? But let me say here today, once again, that you can choose your side, you can choose your strategy, but bless God, you can choose your success. We like success. We like successful people. We celebrate people who we deem to be successful. Such persons become celebrity. We give them honor and esteem and we hold them in high regard whether their success is in sports, education, politics, medicine, music, entertainment. I mean, even a successful YouTube channel. We like successful people. But how much greater would it be, my friend, to be able to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that by God's grace and by his mercy, we have attained success in what matters in this war called a spiritual war. You see why this is so important? It's because this war is a battle. It's a fight for our very soul. 
our success in this spiritual war, in this realm, has eternal consequences. And I'm here to show you on the authority of God's word that we can determine our success. And we can even determine our level of success. I want to draw your attention to this passage in Romans chapter 6. And we looked at this in great detail the last time, which was, again, several weeks ago, two and a half months ago. But we looked at verses 1 to 10, and I don't want to recap it in detail. We don't have the time for that. But I want you to understand that in these verses 1 to 10, Paul emphasizes the redemption by the Savior. That Jesus Christ himself had come to earth, uh, lived here for 33 and a half years, and, and walked this earth. But he came with the express purpose of conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave. And by God's grace, after three days, he got up from the grave, demonstrating that he had done the job. Amen. And Paul says in these verses, he gives a contrast between Jesus and sin and that he had moved from death unto life and that the old man, look at verse number 6, is crucified and this body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Understand that when Jesus came to earth, he conquered sin so that you and I could no longer be in bondage to the same sin. says in verse number 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Understand that when Jesus came to this earth, he did a liberation job. He set the captives free. He broke chains. He released prisoners from bondage. This was no small feat. And that a life as a Christian is now one that is liberated to live in righteousness and in holiness. Look at verse number uh, 4. It says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Look at this. Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. My friend, because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, because of what he did in getting up from the grave, he demonstrated that he has given to us the power to live as children of God in righteousness and in holiness. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. And so with this backdrop in these verses, he gets to verse number 11, and I want you to notice and jot this down, the realization of the saint. He begins that verse with the word likewise. He says likewise. He's saying in similar manner as was just explained in these prior verses, just as Jesus demonstrated his superiority over sin and death, and the grave, he says, likewise. Look at the next word. Reckon. Reckon is to account. To acknowledge. After doing a proper assessment. To come to a sensible conclusion after reviewing the facts. So he says, likewise reckon. He says, in similar manner as Jesus demonstrated. Recognize that because we are in him, guess what, saint of God? You have the power to overcome sin. By accessing his strength. 
not our own. Now look at the next verse, few words. Very important to pay attention to every word. He says, likewise, reckon, that is to give an account. Account based on what you understand to be true. He says, reckon ye also what? Yourselves. Now here's where we sometimes miss it. You as a believer, as a child of God, must realize for yourself that in Christ you have the power to overcome sin. It cannot just be recognized by the pastor for you. It cannot be recognized by the Sunday school teacher for you. It cannot be recognized by your parents for you. It cannot be recognized by your friends for you. You must come to a personal realization. The Apostle Paul, as if he's, he's emphasizing this, he says, reckon ye also yourselves. It's like he puts two words there that mean the same thing. Ye also yourselves. He's saying that it is of vital importance that you understand. In other words, you must believe that you can overcome. Do you know that belief is powerful? The mind is powerful. The mind can cripple you from accomplishing things in life. Most of you would know that I've played the piano almost all my life, since I was five years old. But yet, very oddly and strangely, years ago, and I think sometimes it might still linger with me, that when the time comes to play like an offertory and I'm playing solo, something that I would have worked on for weeks and months, and that I can play perfectly, when the time comes to play it in a public setting, I would get this overwhelming fear and doubt that literally cripples me. And these thoughts before the time comes for doing it would overwhelm my mind and make me think that the worst is going to happen. And even though I played perfectly, I'm going to just fall apart. And oftentimes when those thoughts enter my mind, that's exactly what happens when I get on the piano. Because the mind is powerful. I remember one time I was in Antigua and we were at this church and I wasn't planning to play and, but I had something that I knew and the pastor mentioned to the church that I played the piano and that I played the piano wonderfully and he wanted to hear me play and I would play right after the next song and all of a sudden Doubt started entering my mind of all the worst things that are going to happen. And I'm going to go up there and make an absolute fool of myself. And I had to talk to myself and say, Satan, get thee behind me. It's not going to happen today. Not today. It's not about you. Don't, uh, God has not given me the power, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I had to keep talking to myself and preaching to myself while this song was going on. And all while I was going up there playing and talking to myself, sitting on the piano, talking to Satan, telling him, no, you, you got to get somewhere else. And listen, that's the only how I got through it and got through it by God's grace. The mind is powerful. Listen, you have to reckon yourselves to be what? Dead indeed to sin. Recognize that God has given us the power to overcome sin and to live a righteous and holy life. That's a realization for every saint. But notice in the verses following from 12 to 23, I want to outline to you very quickly this morning 
after you've had a realization, there's now a particular response for your success. Now, three things I'm going to give you here very quickly this morning. Notice, if you're going to be successful, and we're talking about living a life that's pleasing to God, first of all, jot this down. Don't let sin get comfortable in your life. Don't let sin get comfortable. Look at what he says in verse number 12. The apostle Paul says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying, Listen, there's some things you're going to have to do. First of all, you've got to get your mind right. After you get your mind right, now there's some things that you're going to have to literally, intentionally put in place to be able to get the victory. The first thing, don't let sin get comfortable. Let sin know you are not welcome in this temple. Listen, you might show up, but you're not welcome here. When sin comes to your gate, don't open it for him and let him come inside. Listen, if he's going to come in, he might have to jump the fence when you are not looking. But don't welcome him in. If he comes inside the gate, don't open the door for him. If he breaks inside the house, don't allow him to get comfortable in the living room. Don't bring him lemonade and chips. Don't make up the guest room for him to feel at home. You know why? Because after sin gets comfortable and he takes up residence, my friend, he's going to take over and he's going to call the shots. And soon enough, you're not going to be in charge. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Understand, my friend, sin is a master, not a servant. He takes control. He doesn't come around for you to tell him what to do. He comes around to control and to destroy you. Sorry, James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You say, Pastor, how do I know when I'm letting sin get comfortable? When you're playing with sin. When you know something is wrong and you decide to engage in it anyway. You know, you know what, I'm, what, what we ought to recognize about sin? Sin has a way of making itself enticing, pleasurable, fun, enjoyable. And here's what sin does. He gives rewards in the early stages. Man, 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 you see what I, you see what I did for you? I mean, you see how good I made you feel? Man, have some more of me. That's how he functions. Let me tell you something. Sin gives thrills. 
Listen, don't live your life based on thrills. Because sin has lots of them to give you. Gambling gives thrills. Alcohol gives thrills. I'm, I'm only saying based on observation because I've never experienced it. But it has to be. Drugs gives thrills. Sexual pleasure outside of marriage gives thrills. Extramarital affairs, pornography, cheating on tests, lying. My friend, the thrills are there to entice you, to let him come and take up residence in your guest room. And then finally, he is finally in your bedroom and he's on the throne of your life calling the shots. Before you know it, you are not in control. You are the servant to a bad master. And that's why sin takes the form of addictions that people grapple with until it ultimately destroys their life. My friend, the first step to success in your Christian life, don't let sin get comfortable. The second thing, very quickly, determine who you are going to place in control. You must, it is imperative that you make a decision as to who you are going to place in control. Now look at verse number 13. It says, neither yield ye yourselves Neither yield ye your members and instruments of righteousness on sin, but yield yourselves unto what? God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Notice something very important, that there is a choice available. Listen, when it comes to the throne of your life, understand, you are not going to be on the throne, ultimately. You have to make a decision as to who you're going to put. You're either going to place God there or you're going to let sin really reign there via Satan himself. There's no middle ground. In fact, before you were born or when you were born, you were born with sin on the throne. Sin was in charge. Sin was in power. Sin was in government and the government of your life. But because of Jesus' works on Calvary's cross, guess what? We get the opportunity to change government. And this change of government on the throne of your life only requires one vote, yours. You don't need anybody else to make an X to determine who is going to be on the throne of your life. One X and it's all done. You're going to have to choose. Somebody is going to be in charge. It's like when a game is being played, someone is going to win and someone is going to lose. It's a matter of who is going to be in charge. I want you to notice when you make a choice, this choice available, the Bible points out that there are some characteristics associated. Paul makes it very clear that when it comes to sin, if you're going to put sin in charge, guess what? The result is going to be unrighteousness. But if you put God in charge, the result is going to be righteousness. They don't accidentally produce the other. 
If you want righteousness, God is your pick. If you want unrighteousness, sin is your pick. They're not going to overlap. So you're going to have to determine who you're going to place in control. Are you grappling with sin? Have you made a decision? Do you think that the seat of control in your life is vacant? It is not. It is not empty. But you can make a choice. But notice finally. Don't let sin get comfortable. Determine who you're going to place in control. And then finally, decide based on obvious consequences. Now notice in verse number 16, and this is so important, the same verse, that whoever you place in control, you're going to be subject to that authority. Write that down. The consequence of your choice, that whoever you put on the seat of power, on the throne of your life, you are subject to their authority. Look at verse number 16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye what? Yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Let me give you an analogy that I, I know you will understand. Before an election takes place, the sitting prime minister or the premier dissolves the house to signify that the positions of authority are essentially nullified. From that moment until the election, it is understood that the power is now shortly to be completely in the hands of the electorate, the voters. And after the election and the winner is declared, the electorate that hitherto had the power to choose now becomes subject to the authority that has been chosen. My friend, when it comes to the seat of control in your life, understand that it's a privilege to have the power to choose who's going to be in charge. But be careful, because after you choose who's going to be in charge, you're going to be subject to that authority to obey whoever you place in charge. I hear people say all the time, oh, the Christian life is so hard, my friend. I can tell you from experience, it is better to serve God than to serve sin. You think sin easy? You think sin play? The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're going to be subject to the authority. But notice there's a simple assessment. In verses 18 and 22, 222, I'm going to summarize here what the apostle Paul wanted them to understand. 
The Apostle Paul was reminding these saints at the church in Rome that, listen, you understand what it was like when you were in bondage to sin. I don't have to remind you of the addiction. I don't have to remind you of the struggles. Sin was a, a bad master. I mean, he had you in bondage, but Jesus came and freed you from that mess. And he compares with them, oh, listen, you couldn't stop sin even when you tried. Sin was in charge. But thank God for the cross. Now that he freed you, well, with sin had you in bondage and you had to serve him and you had to obey him. Well, for heaven's sake, now that Jesus is in charge, well, obey him and serve him. He's a far better master. That's why James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Look at what Paul says. Point verse 20. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. In other words, he was saying when you were, when you were serving sin, you could not do right. What fruit had he then in those things? We of ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But look at verse 22. But now, but now, being made free from sin, God loosed those chains. I mean, he, he burst those shackles. And you now became servants to God. And now that you are serving God, it's not about your power, but you're serving the one who has the power. And now your fruit is unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. He says, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. Because you understand from experience, you had a bad master, but now you have a good master. Well, if you're going to serve the bad master the way you did, well, serve the good master even better. And then he concludes in verse 23. He says, listen, there's a specific aftermath. He says, there's a comparison. Listen, th this thing ends one of two ways. The wages of sin. If you're going to let sin be on the throne, understand when it's all said and done, the, the payment, the wages, the consequences for sin, it's all going to end in death. But look at the contrast. The gift of God. We did not work for it. God gave it to us by his mercy. God gave it to us by his grace. But the gift of God is eternal life. Why? Is it through our own strength? Absolutely not. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Case dismissed. He says when it comes to the spiritual war, you can be successful. You can make that determination. First of all, realize that God has given us the victory. He proved it when Jesus got up from the grave. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he has made that power accessible to you. But you're going to have to get your mind right. You're going to have to reckon yourself dead to sin. Sin, you had power over me. But when Jesus got up from the grave, guess what? Your power was relinquished. Get away, I'm dead to you. You don't call the shots here anymore. But before you get all too high and mighty, you understand it's not about us. I got to put the right person on the throne of my life. If I leave it vacant, sin going to say, hey, here I am again. But you put God on the throne. 
and he gives you the power to overcome sin. Don't let sin get comfortable. Listen, sometimes thoughts enter my mind and I'm like, get away. Where you come from? Even right now, I'm working on a message talking about renewing your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Listen, this thing is a battle. We got this depraved sin nature. You got to renew your mind. You got to keep away from junk entering these eyes and ears if you're going to win this battle. But before I start on that message, listen, let me finish this one. I'll come back to that one another time. But listen, we got to do some work. You got to get your mind right. If your mind is messed up, everything else is futile. He says, likewise, reckon ye yourselves. Reckon some things. Account what Jesus has done. He tells Satan, you're not welcome here. Now you like to show up unannounced. But listen, get to step in. The door is right there. Go with the same further speed than you came. You're not welcome here. Don't let him welcome. Don't welcome. Don't make up the bed for him. Get him out the door. Don't let him get comfortable. And determine who you're going to put on the throne of your life. And understand that there are some consequences that come about. It's like night and day. So when it comes to your choice, let God be the Lord of your life.